Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to a bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. The Buck Sexton Show. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. Department SWAT team approached the vehicle. The suspect detonated a bomb inside the vehicle, knocking one of our SWAT officers back, and one of our SWAT officers fired at the suspect as well. The suspect is deceased uh, and has significant injuries from a blast that occurred from detonating a bomb inside his vehicle. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everyone. You heard it there from the Austin police chief. The serial bomber has been caught, or rather, he's no longer with us. He He has been found. He detonated a bomb. He killed himself. And looks like the terror that was visited upon the city of Austin in recent weeks is most likely over. There still could be some bombs circulating out there, but right now uh, we are praying and fingers crossed and very hopeful that this has all come to an end. Here, here's what we know about this particular mad bomber. Um, his name is Mark Anthony Condit. He's 23 years old. He was homeschooled, grew up in the Austin area, um, had spent some time on Internet sites doing uh, research for his bomb making. It's believed that he did this all himself, uh, that he just created these. He ordered some batteries, unusual batteries online from Asia as part of his bomb making, according to Daily Mail, bought some equipment from a Home Depot store. This was all uh, DIY serial murder from Mark Anthony Condit. They were able to zero in on him because of his FedEx, uh, his FedEx stop. So as many of us said, including uh, when it initially happened, I was over at Fox. I said, I think FedEx is going to be what, what breaks this case open. And sure enough, it was because they had cameras in place. And once you had him on, Although he was in uh, disguise, he had kind of a he had a wig and a, a whole disguise set up. Um, but once you knew where the suspect was at the time, you could then use cell phone data. And also, I've seen reports that they looked up his Google search history, he became a person of interest. The digital footprint here was what did him in. Well, a uh, homemade bomb that he detonated himself really did him in. But I mean, his he was captured. Uh, because of the internet and because of technology. So that was the hope all along here, I think, that it was not, well, it was possible maybe, but it was unlikely that the serial bomber would be able to stay out of closed-circuit television uh, surveillance so that he would be able to evade all of the mechanisms that are in our day-to-day lives now as a result of the technology all around us and so we don't have a metesky on our hands you know the mad bomber in new york city as i mentioned in the 50s almost i think for around a decade terrorized new york city 33 bombs 
the uh, Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski, 16 years, I think it took before they finally got him. Um, now, this bomber uh, didn't have quite the OPSEC, perhaps, of, of a Kaczynski, um, but we were, we, were, we were lucky we got him when we did uh, because he could have put many more of these bombs out there. If he, if he had just stayed with delivering bombs to doorsteps in the initial way, it might have taken a lot longer to get him and more people's lives could have been ended. I mean, what, a, what just a terrible waste um, that people were maimed, people were killed by this maniac. Uh, it's, it is heart-wrenching. It really is. It's a gut punch. Um, in terms of motive, we still don't know. This kid was homeschooled, went to community college, uh, unemployed at the time of his, I was going to say at the time of his arrest, but it's really at the time of his detonation. And they don't have much on him. They say he was quiet. They say that he uh, was reasonably polite, you know, kind of a loner, and comes from a nice family, they're saying. I, you know, this is... Not what would have fit the profile in a lot of ways. I think people were expecting a different, a different character here. Yeah, he's a he's a single white male. He's a little on the younger side, I think, for serial bombers. But single white male loner. Well, not even really a loner. He lived with roommates. Just quiet, perhaps. Better way to put it. But something was deeply wrong here. Something was uh, twisted in his mind. Uh, he had he had chosen the darkness, my friends. He had chosen evil. He had gone down a a path of evil, and we know this from his actions. We also know that he used the alias Kelly Kilmore uh, for his FedEx packages. Kelly Kilmore. So this was all premeditated. Obviously, he thought a lot about it. He prepared for it. He experimented, and. This was a plot that he put into motion. I mean, this was, uh, you know, we, we'd like to call him a madman because in some ways it maybe feels more manageable for us to just think that he's, that the synapses in his brain were misfiring, that, that there was something clinically, medically wrong with him. Maybe he just chose evil. Uh, we don't have enough of a psychological profile on him to know really what his background was or uh, how he was I was going to say pushed into it that's the wrong how he made this choice how he made this choice uh, it's a reminder as well of, of what we face uh, this is a kid who didn't have anywhere near the red flags and warning signs of the uh, Parkland shooter Nicholas Cruz the, the, in that case, you look at it and you say to yourself, well, they should have done more. And now we find out that law enforcement uh, on the scene, and I think that's very important. We're just talking about know, what I'm criticizing what happened at Parkland in terms of law enforcement response. It's just some who were there. Others who were there showed bravery and and skill in their professions. But there were some who clearly did not. Yet another one today that and this was known, I'm sure, right away, but they waited and waited and waited. You found out that one of the deputies was asleep in his patrol car. The one who was supposed to be posted at the very entrance that Nicholas Cruz used to go into the building. Asleep in his car when this happened. I remember when I was uh, a the technical title, by the way, because sometimes when I'm on TV, they 
say different things that are, are close to the technical title was intelligence research specialist. This is a fancy way of saying an analyst for the intelligence division of the NYPD. But I remember what the guys told me. They're like, one thing we promise you is if you're found sleeping on this job, you will be suspended and you might be fired. You cannot get, you are a law enforcement entity here. You cannot literally be asleep on the job. And I always remember that. And, and they were, they were absolutely serious about it. It was like, there, there was that rule and there was, if you, well, failed the drug test, they had another term that they used for it that was a little crass, but if you failed the drug test, uh, you, all, you were automatically suspended pending termination. That was it. There was no like, oh, let's talk about this or give me a second chance. Sleeping was the same thing. A Parkland deputy, well, I should say a Broward County deputy at the shooting in Parkland was asl- literally asleep on the job. Uh, but... You look at this, you say, okay, law enforcement failed. Uh, there were all these missed signs. FBI missed the tips. With Mark Anthony Condit and the Austin Syria bombing, Mark Anthony Condit, 23 years old, I, I'm not seeing the, the red flags anywhere. And I'm not even sure which, which is really scarier, folks. The evil maniac that everyone knows about that no one can stop or the quiet, sadistic killer that you can't see coming. I think you can make a case it's worse either way. I mean, they're just both evil and uh, both things that we have to be vigilant against and fight against. And people who are now, I saw the beginnings of the conversation about, well, you know, we have to do more to stop somebody from being able to build bombs. Uh, now you're talking about just regulating everyday chemicals out of existence. I mean, it's just not possible. This guy did not have any military training, did not have any intelligence training. He was able to figure this out. And if he, by the way, if, if he had had any real professional background in explosives, tactics, techniques, and procedures, if he had had any you know, uh, tradecraft, operational security taught to him, he would have been a much more lethal serial bomber than he was. But he figured out the bomb components of this himself. And, you know, people, I saw a lot of folks going on TV saying, well, you know, clearly there's a sophistication, a level of expertise. No, this is not hard to do. You know, I, there, there's a, a whole span. I mean, bomb making and uh, expert, uh, explosives like any other area, there's, there's familiarity. I have familiarity with explosives. And then there's real expertise, which only comes from dealing with them, handling them, defusing them. Right. That's the level you get at uh, SWAT teams, EOD. Uh, military EOD, you know, they and they'll tell you that once you learn the basics of how to do this, it's not hard to do. To build a bomb like this, to kill innocent people, there's a whole whole range of bomb maker skill and bomb defusal skill out there. Uh, So this guy was was low on the skill spectrum, but enough to be lethal in the context of just trying to blow up people in the Austin area. We don't know anything about the target set yet. Um, we don't know anything about, I want to say, we don't know anything. We know who was hit, obviously, but we don't have any analysis of why. Not that I've seen law enforcement. They don't know what the motive is, but they also don't even know what would cluster together the addresses that he chose. Not, not something that has been made clear. So we'll continue to follow this. The good news is, uh, this evil piece of refuse is, uh, gone blew himself up in the car when police confronted him and 
assuming that there are no more of these devices out there, but we have to hope that that is the case, and law enforcement's working very hard to figure out if that is the case or not, uh, this has finally come to an end. So we're very thankful for the people of Austin that this nightmare is hopefully over and that the country can breathe a sigh of relief. Um, but as with so many of these cases, will not be the last. So we should just be psychologically prepared for that, and you have to maintain a level of vigilance. Um, give you a sense of where we're going here. We're going to have the Attorney General joining us to talk about battling the opioid crisis. So Jeff Sessions will be uh, our guest coming up here in just a few minutes. I'll give you more of my thoughts on the opioid crisis as well, and then we'll talk about the uh, situation of former senior intelligence officers from the Obama administration who are now popping up on TV left and right and just trashing Trump. That's very, it's not just that it annoys me. I think what they're saying is untrue. I think it's unethical. I've got a big problem with it. Uh, Also, the call to Russia, the call to Putin, and the leak about what Trump said or did not say, we'll address that. We got follow-up on the Facebook Cambridge Analytica story. Here's the short version. Everything I told you is looking more and more accurate in terms of the analysis with each passing day now. So uh, I was right, and the entire mainstream media was wrong. There's no surprise there, but we'll give you some of the details. And uh, we've got basically a lot more show. Oh, and, and some free speech issues coming up later in the show, too. YouTube kicking firearms videos off the platform and a guy in the U.K. who is heading to prison for making a, an offensive video we'll hit that and more we come back stay with me so we're about to talk about the opioid crisis here on the show we have attorney general jeff sessions will be our guest in just a few moments Uh, we're looking forward to asking him about what the administration is going to do when it comes to uh the pandemic of overdoses and we will uh, get to get to that with him shortly here we have uh, but there's a, a story that I, I just want to note I I saw and here's I, I'm I'm kind of in shock I missed this somehow producer Mike brought it to my attention this is from CNN a Florida judge set bond Tuesday at five hundred thousand dollars for Zachary Cruz the younger brother of Parkland shooter Nicholas Cruz for a misdemeanor trespassing charge, despite protestations from his defense attorney who said his client was being punished for his brother's crime. Appearing via video before the same judge and in the same courtroom as his brother had days earlier, Zachary Cruz stood shackled in a brown jumpsuit and sandals. He was surrounded by three deputies. 700 he's got a $750,000 bond uh oh no I'm sorry that's for the younger cruises release whoa I was like well, that is um that's wait no is that the is the brother older or younger is this the older brother or younger brother Mike uh, hold on I'm making oh no yeah it was, it was the younger brother $750,000 bond wow for I mean, obviously, the other I had to think about this for a second, but yeah, the Nicholas Cruz, there's no bond. I mean, he's probably facing the death penalty, but that that's a lot. That's a big price tag for what what, as I understand, is a trespassing charge. Wow, they are throwing the book at this guy. They're not messing around. But here's what happened. 
after Cruz's back to the CNN piece here, after Cruz's arrest, this is remember the younger Cruz, the younger brother of Nicholas Cruz, the shooter at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. Ooh, there's all kinds of problems and warning signs with this guy, too. After Cruz's arrest Monday in Parkland, the 18 year old told police he wanted to reflect on the school shooting and soak it in. The teen had no ties to Broward County and that he surpassed all locked doors and gates and proceeded to ride his skateboard through school grounds. So Nicholas Cruz, the school shooter's younger brother, who's 18, so he's an adult, thought that it would be a good idea to trespass on Marjorie Stoneman Douglas grounds and go skateboarding through the school to soak it all in, in reference to the shooting. Wow. Uh, they would. They need to keep an eye on this guy. Uh, well, I guess they're going to. He's got a $750,000 bond. I wonder what the... I'm trying to look and see here. I just Mike just told me about this before uh, we went into the break. Uh, I wasn't planning on discussing this. I'm just seeing the story in in the last few minutes here, but I'm wondering how long or what kind of charges he faces right now. Uh, he had a bunch of theft and criminal mischief pleas from his juvenile record, so they're try they're using that to say, "Wow, yeah, the, here we go, guys." the 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 usual trespassing bond is twenty five dollars. That's what that's what it usually costs to get out on bond for trespassing in in, uh, in Broward County is twenty five dollars. They're holding this guy in seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars bond. Uh, there, whoa, this is interesting. But he violated. Uh, I'm sorry, he's got an ankle monitor on here. He was instructed to have no contact with. What do you got, Mike? They they they're holding him uh, uh, involuntarily and uh, under evaluation under the Baker Act. So they're holding the brother under the Baker Act. Ah, well, they're not gonna they're not gonna let that slip through the cracks this time. Okay, so this this is a this is a big update to the story. Thank you for bringing this to my attention. I didn't I didn't know about this one. So the younger brother now being held, and they're they're trying to see if he's a risk to the public as well. Um, this this uh, shooting in Parkland is the story is still moving still moving along here. Um, all right, we got the attorney. I'm going to have to switch topics because we have the Attorney General of the United States calling in a few minutes to talk to us about the opioid crisis. We're going to talk about that, so stay with me. Welcome back, everyone. The administration is tackling the opioid crisis, and they are taking real tangible steps to save lives in this country right now and to do so with smart, sensible policy. To tell us what some of those steps are, we are joined by the Attorney General of the United States, Jeff Sessions. Uh, Mr. Attorney General, thank you so much for calling us. We appreciate it. Well, thank you. It's uh, good to talk with you. And it, it is indeed an important subject. Yeah, tell us what the administration, I know you've been outlining the plans, but for those listening, what are the main points of assault on this epidemic right now that you and the rest of the administration are engaged in to, to save lives and to, to deal with the 64,000 dead in the last complete year of o- opioid overdoses? Um, Buck, we uh, are determined uh, to bring those death numbers down. Uh, They went up from 52,000 to 64,000 to 66,000, we think, in 17. We need to bring those numbers down, not just uh, play around with this problem, but actually reverse these trends. The president declared 
a health emergency, a national health emergency, and he was with the first lady in New Hampshire um, earlier in the week, and I was with him there with several cabinet members, and he made clear that this is a top priority for him. Uh, the first lady had been to a neonatal unit where babies are being born addicted to drugs, and she talked about that. Um, and uh, I remember being in New Hampshire uh, earlier last year when uh, we stood with 9,000 high school students that DEA had, had put the event together with 50 mothers holding up 50 enlarged portraits of one of their children who had died from a drug overdose. Uh, it was a moving, moving thing. So you are right. It's a big, big, big issue. What are we doing? We, we're going to have a new data analytics uh, program. We think a lot of the addiction starts with prescription drug addiction. So this program kicks out how many drugs a given doctor or hospital or, or pharmacy has uh, dispensed. Some of them are shockingly outliers. Uh, way above any normal expectation of prescriptions, uh, and they even can track how many people are tied who've died from overdose who may have been getting uh, drugs from that facility. So it helps our agents identify corrupt uh, people who are moving these drugs. We're moving forward with civil litigation against uh, uh, Big Pharma in some of the things that they're doing. We're determined to bring down the number of prescriptions that are actually properly prescribed. Uh, the presidential goal is to bring those numbers down 30%. Uh, we know that uh, these opioid prescription painkillers can create addiction themselves. Uh, can you speak, Mr. Attorney data. General, to the, to the issue specifically of, of enforcement when it comes to traffickers? Because that's gotten a lot of press attention recently specifically with regard to enhanced penalties for drug trafficking. Where, where is the DOJ on that? Where is the administration on it? We are 100% behind that. Uh, we've got to get stronger sentences uh, for fentanyl, which is the number one killer drug, and we believe uh, and uh, support the Sentencing Commission to raise uh, the guidelines for sentencing, but we really need uh, Congress, too, to improve sentencing for that. Uh, the president has called for uh, considering the death penalty for some of these uh, gangs and some of these uh, drug uh, killers who are moving these drugs that are causing so much death. Uh, and we support that. I sent out a memo yesterday uh, to uh, uh, every United States attorney uh, to consider the death penalty wherever it was appropriate. And we think that that will go up. Uh, and we have in every United States attorney's office around the country, 94 of them, an opioid specialist that I've required them to establish. We have an opioid leader here in Washington uh, that supports our prosecutors, and we expect to continue to see a surge in prosecutions. And, in fact, as you let me just advise you, but over the last four or five years, uh, we've seen a drop in prison population and a 19% drop in average sentence for anyone convicted in federal court. Uh, we think that's gone too far, and we're asking our prosecutors to identify these uh, big-time gang dope dealers to prosecute them fully 
and if they deserve the death penalty, to seek that. Attorney General Jeff Sessions is with us now here, team. Uh, Attorney General, I've been looking for a while at the connection between cartels and the opioid epidemic. And this is uh, a theory. It's something I've been working on, trying to do research for. I'm wondering if you can speak to what what the connections are. I mean, do we have some sense of the role and responsibility of Mexican-based drug cartels, of the MS-13 gang here in the States, and this huge surge? Because from the, the data I'm seeing from various uh, you know national government uh, sources, it seems like a lot of the overdoses, we mentioned 64,000, a lot of the overdoses come from heroin, which is always illegal, and fentanyl, which is often illegal, which to me suggests that the role of the cartels in the opioid epidemic is much bigger than the media is leading many of us to believe. You're exactly correct about this. Almost all fentanyl and uh, almost all heroin now is coming across the border from Mexico. Mexico is a growing poppy in record amounts. They need to spray more of this poppy plant, uh, and that would be a big help and bust some more labs. But uh, they make meth in unlimited amounts in Mexico. Now all our meth is not homemade, but almost all of it is, is being transported across the border from big laboratories. The same is true uh, with heroin. We're seeing a lot of white powder heroin. Uh, even the heroin that's are driven and distributed by the the uh, um, Dominicans, uh, Dominican Republic gangs in the Northeast, uh, is actually coming out of Mexico and actually across the Mexican border. Uh, so heroin, cocaine, methamphetamine, fentanyl is overwhelmingly coming across the border from Mexico, and the amounts are being produced that are being produced are greater than we've ever seen. Mr. Attorney General, I know you've given us a lot of time, and I don't want to hold you up, but before we let you go, if you could just tell me, what do you think about some of these cities in California that are trying to hold their own municipal referendums to opt out of sanctuary city status? Well, we uh, salute that, and we encourage that. It's just such a fundamental violation of the one of the greatest things that's happened in law enforcement over the last 40 years is cooperation between federal, state, and all the local agencies. And what they're doing is they won't even tell the um, federal uh, ICE officials that they have an illegal alien that they've convicted of a drug crime, for example, and he's due to be released, convicted of an assault, convicted of rape. They won't even tell the federal officers who want to pick them up and deport them. Uh, in California, I had to sue them last uh, a week, two weeks ago, over uh, their state law that says a private business who's approached by an ICE officer uh, to uh, inquire about illegal aliens in the workforce, uh, they cannot allow on their own property the ICE officer to come on, on the premises. It's some really extreme action being taken in California. The gist of it is they want to eviscerate the law. They really believe in open borders, and anybody that gets across the border, uh, they believe should not be ever to be deported. It's really a radical thing, and, and I'm so proud that a number of the cities are standing up. 
Attorney General Jeff Sessions, we really appreciate your time, sir. Thank you for all you're doing, and thanks for uh, joining us. Well, I thank you, and I appreciate your interest and study in this matter. Thank you very much, sir. Team, we're going to roll into a break. We'll be uh, back in just a few moments. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. We'll be right back. This epidemic can affect anyone, and that's why we want to educate everyone. The second part of our initiative is to reduce the supply of illicit drugs. Ninety percent of the heroin in America comes from our southern border, where eventually the Democrats will agree with us and will build the wall to keep the damn drugs out. President Trump is right on this one, and he's been right for a long time. I told you I've been looking at the numbers, and the numbers don't lie. We've actually seen a decrease in the last few years in prescriptions written for opioids. People have been overdosing on uh, pain medication of one kind or another, uh, opioid-based, for quite a few years. When you look at the statistics, what you find out is that, sure enough, the enormous spike over the last three or four years in opioid deaths uh, has resulted from fentanyl and heroin. And I just asked the attorney general of the United States, and he, he said, yes, this is true. It is from fentanyl and heroin. Illegal drugs are actually what, are, what is killing a vast majority of the people that are overdosing. Now, there's sometimes fentanyl. I've known people that have said that fentanyl can be prescribed in certain circumstances, but a vast majority of the fentanyl that people are getting is a version that's made in labs illegally and distributed illegally. So it's the illegal drug trade, folks. That is the reason we have 64,000 dead Americans in the last year. It's a lot. I don't have to tell you that, but you look at it up against other figures of what is causing deaths in this country. And it's the reason why you've actually had a decline in life expectancy for, uh, for American males in recent years. Uh, or I think it might have stalled out. Life expectancy is something you wouldn't expect to see in any direction except a positive one in this country. But I put all this together a while ago. Remember we had our friend from Mexico City, the journalist, uh, Yon Grillo, join. I said, Yon, there's more violence in Mexico than there's ever been before. The cartels are more powerful than they have ever been right now. You have news stories coming out of Mexico that look like they were written by some fantasist thriller novel writer. And they're real. You know, 30, 40 man assault teams on the cartel side with automatic weapons and RPGs going up against Federalists, going up against Mexican Marines. You're not hearing about it here in this country, but that's happening. And that's been happening the last year or so in Mexico. You also have these gangs like MS-13 that are becoming more brazen and more distributed in cities across the country. And oh, by the way, the human smuggling networks for illegal immigration and the illegal immigrant diaspora communities. That's right. That means sanctuary cities, my friends. Illegal immigrant diaspora in the United States. Is a highway now. For the illegal drugs coming into this country that are killing over 60,000 Americans a year. 
I knew that there was something wrong going on here. The media doesn't want to talk about this because the moment illegal immigration is undeniably a security issue with tens of thousands of American lives at stake. Doesn't that change the whole conversation, my friends? Doesn't it make it a little harder to just trot out a few people here and there and say, look at this valedictorian who was brought here illegally. Don't you feel terrible for the valedictorian? Well, that's not really what we're talking about here, are we? That's not really the policy issue that's at hand. You could do that with any number of issues. You know, they're nice. They're wonderful people who don't pay their taxes. They go to prison for it. You don't see them getting on CNN. Look at the wonderful guy that this is. He just didn't pay his taxes for the last 10 years. They do this with legal immigration. They lie about it. They try to twist the language, try to force us to have discussions that aren't based in fact. And they've been hiding this from you. Because the statistics in Mexico are clear. The cartels are more violent, more dangerous than they've ever been. There are whole new cartels popping up that people haven't even heard of in this country that are more powerful and more violent than some of the ones they've supplanted. And they are running heroin into this country because they are growing it now. They are vertically integrated as a international drug commercial enterprise. They're not just moving. They used to move cocaine through Mexico and the United States and marijuana. And a lot And the cocaine was grown in primarily Colombia, Peru, some in Venezuela. Now they're just growing the heroin right in Mexico. And what you find are, yes, there's a tie into the prescription issue in this country with doctors putting out too many prescriptions for opioids. But the tie is that, well, when you start to shut this stuff down, now people that have a need, a biological, physical need for opioids, unless they're going to go through a proper detox and, and get clean, they figure, well, I mean, the heroin is readily available. And that I, I don't go into withdrawal if I get the heroin. So. Gangs like MS-13 have flooded the streets with heroin now. It's cheaper, more readily available than it has ever been in this country. And that's happening despite the fact that we have, as we've been talking about with the serial bomber case, law enforcement technology deployed that has made it much easier to attract organized crime. It's made it much more effective to, uh, to deal with violent crime of all kinds. Meanwhile, heroin is flooding into the country. It's being grown across the border in Mexico the Mex- I mean, there are so many levels where this is a problem, folks. The Mexican president, uh, Peña Nieto, he's part of the PRI, the PRI. They are the Mexican Revolutionary Party. They were the one party in control of Mexico for over 70 years. You know what their policy was with the cartels? Not really a problem. Just, you know, don't cause too much issue for us. And then they went out of power, and you had uh, Vincente Fox and Calderon and the Mexican government took on the drug cartels and lost 50,000-plus Mexicans doing it. Now you've got the party in, in place that was like, hey, why don't we try to turn more of a blind eye to cartel activity? And the violence between, much of the violence is between the cartels because they're fighting over turf. But they're flooding our streets. The, the heroin that is being sold in Los Angeles, Chicago, and the surrounding cities, right? It's a hub-spoke system that's being sold in New York City, right where I am. It's being sold in Long Island. MS-13 gangs penetrating out in Long Island. It's being sold all across the country. New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, Phoenix, 
New Orleans. I mean, name a place. It's coming for Mexico, and it's using the same smugglers that are bringing in illegal immigrants. We'll keep following this team. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. Welcome to Hour 2 of the Buck Sexton Show. Thank you so much for being here. We've got a lot to get to, including the former CIA director of my old home agency, although I left before he was running the show there. Uh, Brennan, speaking out on Trump. Speaking out is a polite way of saying it. He's really uh, dumping on Trump in a way that is completely unacceptable in my opinion for a former intelligence chief particularly one that just finished the job right Uh, but i'll I'll get into why that bothers me so much a bit later on also the heat that trump continues to get on russia and his call to putin when obama made the same call as i mentioned yesterday and i also want to challenge this on on policy grounds too what do they really think the answer is to the difficult and delicate relationship that the president of the United States has to have with the Russian premier. Hmm. We will ponder that one together. Um, and then the, the absolutely disgraceful leak of the president's phone call and the instructions given to him from what is believed to be one of his top aides. It has to be somebody close to him. Uh, the reports are that it's a small number of folks around him. We'll get to all of that. And then, uh, by the way, third hour, you definitely should stick around. Well, uh, well that's what I'm going to be addressing the Brennan issue and also uh, a free speech case out of the U.K. that is bizarre. Uh, someone's going to jail for a joke, a comedian going to jail for teaching his pug to raise its paw in response to anti to an anti to anti-Semitic uh, Nazi propaganda, essentially. Uh, he's going to prison for that. And then also what YouTube is doing to to videos that try to show people how to um, fire guns and how they're blocking access to websites that sell guns via YouTube now. This is active censorship on the social media platforms. Uh, censorship along political lines. The mainstream media. We will wake up one day soon and find out that the mainstream media is no longer dominant, that its era of dominance is over. And we will also realize that the era of progressive social media dominance is now the new fight, and it is upon us, because they will have a huge head start at that point. Facebook is one of the most valuable companies in the world. Google not far behind. Twitter has also got quite a bankroll. These are progressive, ideologically driven organizations. These social media platform companies have every bit the same sense of left-wing evangelism that journalists working at the big three networks for decades when they had a monopoly on TV news. Uh, they had the same sense of purpose that was had then, they have now. And in many ways, I think they have an even more powerful grip on the public because you're interacting with this stuff all the time. Uh, which now brings me to just, I'm hoping this will be one of the last updates on the Cambridge Analytica story because I've been right on this one all along I, I will pat myself on the back a little bit I said the initial headlines are, oh they've they've weaponized 
They've weaponized information about people. They're doing micro-targeting. It's terrifying. A psychological warfare weapon. You mean uh, marketing? You mean advertising campaigns that try to base themselves upon information, demographic info, the very broad stuff that's out well, it's worse than that. It's psychological warfare through Facebook. Oh, I knew this would happen. The, the moment that people started to say that they thought that, and when I mean people, I'm talking even about some conservatives out there who think they who think they know the Constitution and the law really well and think they understand things. They're like, oh, the Mueller charge against Russia is really a shot across the bow for democracy. It's like, well, I'm not sure that Facebook accounts constitute a foreign uh, foreign government engaging in information warfare against the United States. Uh, And I also think that calling it a conspiracy to defraud the United States based upon a conception of fraud as something you don't like that interferes with what the government does like is not a good precedent to send. But putting that aside for a moment here, Cambridge Analytica story is supposed to be as follows. All this information was taken and this is the summary version of what the media has been. And this has been like a, a top story. If it, if it wasn't for the Austin serial bomber case, this would have been the biggest news story this week so far. I mean, it's CNN, oh, this and CNN is Cambridge Analytica and Stormy Daniels. Very different, very different stories uh, that we could that we can say. Um, yeah, but the storyline they were running with was that Facebook allowed a breach, oh, a breach of information. And Cambridge Analytica, these super geniuses of algorithms and manipulation, social media manipulation of the masses, illicitly used information from Facebook to micro-target people in the United States and cost Hillary the election. That was the storyline. The reality is much more nuanced And much less important. (laughs) That's what it really comes down to. You had Anderson Cooper, who is over at CNN. They love Anderson Cooper. I have never once seen Anderson Cooper give an interview or do anything where I was impressed. I will say that. And I've actually seen him act really poorly on TV a number of times. I can even cite some of the examples if I chose to. Uh, But he is the, the single biggest name at CNN. For reasons I could not conjure on the spot. I'm not really clear on why. Yeah, he looks he looks the part of newsman. Um but he's interview he interviewed one of the guys involved with this whole Cambridge Analytica thing and just let, let's go through this together for a moment and you'll you'll notice something as he's uh, asking these questions. Go ahead, please. Play it. Did they tell you what they were going to do with their data? No. I knew, I knew it was for political uh, consulting, but beyond that no idea. So, but you knew it would be used to maybe target voters or find out information about voters. My recollection is no. I mean, the, we knew they wanted to use it for political political purposes, but there was a lot of ambiguity of what that meant. So, I mean, what did political purposes mean to you? It could mean a lot of things. I mean, the actual use case for this data, I already told you that it's just not that accurate at the individual level, is aggregate. When you look at groups, if you want to understand, hey, what's the personality of New Yorkers? It's actually pretty good. If you want to look at, you know, Anderson Cooper, it's not great. Um, that would have been a really great use case, I think. So just to be clear, uh, I mean, as far as you know, were there any illicit activities, anything untoward that transpired between Cambridge Analytica and the Trump campaign concerning the 2016 election? Uh, no, I don't even know if they actually worked for Trump or used the data. 
Okay. All right, everybody. So can we just take a moment here together and just bask in the glory of what was just said on national TV on CNN in front of in front of an audience in the in the you know low thousands in the demo. Um, the the guy is, is saying. So let's just uh, be honest here for a second, folks. The data's not that good. But we were told, oh, my gosh, like Bannon and Mercer and, and Data and Russia and Facebook and blah. No, the information's just not that good. As I told you, they would have to be geniuses. Everyone else is trying to do the same stuff, trying to target Remember, when you say target, that's also even, oh, my gosh, like they're targeting. No, this isn't targeting like we're, you know, hurting people. This is trying to give them information they want to see, that they want to click on, that they will take action on. It's advertising. We are literally talking about political advertising, everyone. That's it. They're not they're not turning people's computers into active listening devices when they're not around. They're they're not stealing your credit card information. They're sending you stuff like, hey, Hillary, maybe he's not a good presidential candidate. Hashtag Hillary for prison. Oh, my gosh. But this was like some big break. So what have they done with the data? Well, people were giving this to a third party. You just did the third party, then give it to Cambridge Analytica. I also told you the journalists who are honest and cover the political campaign uh, covered the presidential campaigns accurately, like Cambridge Analytica isn't even considered good at this. But all of a sudden, you'll notice that they cast aside any skepticism. You know, all we hear is that Trump is uh, Trump, and all of his people are such a buffoons. They're so they're so dumb. Oh, but they had the genius social media people working for them. Cambridge Analytica. Oh my gosh, it's a secret weapon. No, it's not. It's obvious that it's not. But if that wasn't enough for you, if you're not already like, wow, Buck, like this is a real, this is a, a huge story in that it was made a huge story when it's actually a non-story or a very low-level, unimportant story at best. What it really is is a story about the delusions of the media, about how they're so willing to either lie or be fooled easily into propagating a lie because it excuses Hillary's loss and it bashes Trump. I mean, this has become a fixation. They have turned this into some kind of OCD tick. You know, Hillary didn't lose, Trump's a cheater. Hillary didn't lose, Trump's a cheater. They can't let it go. But as, as though it's not enough to just know the data is not what they said it was, then, yeah, that guy would be like, I don't even think they used it. So what the heck have all these news networks been running for the last few days? That seems to be a pretty... By the way, this was reported in the New York Times and other places too, but that always was reported very unlike, eh, but there's no clear evidence that even used the data. So meanwhile, we've got people that are, are oh, they're freaking out about Mark Zuckerberg. This is from The Hill earlier today. Mark Zuckerberg is drawing intense scrutiny from lawmakers demanding that the Facebook founder testify to Congress about the Cambridge Analytica controversy. Facebook's data practices are under the microscope like never before, following a report the British research firm connected to President Trump's campaign improperly obtained information on 50, 50 million Facebook users as it sought ways to influence the minds of voters at the polls. Now that you know that the information is not good, that nothing that we know of illegal was done in obtaining the information in the first place. It might've been a violation of Facebook terms of service, maybe. And the information wasn't even used. 
But Mark Zuckerberg has got to be putting out this fire. And look, I'm not some big Zuckerberg fan. You know, everyone's demanding Zuckerberg give us answers. Facebook's been selling your data. This is how they make all their money. This is what they do. This is how, you know, those of you who are listening to this show in Texas on Facebook, it might be like, oh, like, you know, would you like to would you like to buy this delicious barbecue sauce? You know, if you if you live up in Wisconsin, you know, they might be saying, oh, you know, would you like this cheese to go with your meal? I don't know. Whatever. I'm trying to think of things randomly. You know, if you're in California, you're like, you know, find the best pet therapist in your neighborhood. Like they can do this because they know where you are, because Facebook is sharing pretty general data about you with different advertisers, what they do. But this goes also into a broader, there's the category of the Trump delusion, Trump derangement syndrome that the whole Cambridge Analytica thing just fits right into. But then there's also something else. There is this game that the the Democrat media plays where a problem that has existed all along, when a Republican is in office, all of a sudden becomes an out-and-out crisis. This has been exposed in the past. I think even uh, back in the day, Bernie, Bernie Goldberg in his book Bias wrote about this uh, from his time at CBS. And you know, I was a little intern at CBS when Dan Rather was there. It was my first, my first real experience in learning to uh, distrust and despise the mainstream media. Uh, but CBS would, was one of many that would do this thing where all of a sudden a Republican administration comes into office and there's just all these stories about the problem of homelessness. They wouldn't tell you in the stories that the homelessness hasn't gotten worse. It's just we're telling you about it now. So homelessness exists. It's a problem. Should be dealt with. We should be helping people, helping get back to the field, all that. But you have a Republican, and within the first six months of Republican administration, it's like, let's churn out the stories about homelessness. There's not more of them now. It's just that we're going to talk about them. That's like the Facebook data sharing issue. They've been doing this for years. Yeah, is it creepy? Does it bother people? Sure. Is there a whole other discussion we should probably have about how social media is, in many ways, disconnecting us from each other as human beings? It connects us as digital entities and presences, but it disconnects us from each other as human beings. It creates artificial connectivity between us when what we really need is human connection, being around each other, being with each other, seeing each other's people. That's a whole other discussion, maybe one worth having later in the week. But this whole Cambridge Analytica thing through the election, cheated, it's a big scandal. I mean, guys, gals, this is a joke. It's a joke. And why was I able to see it right away? And other people were like, well, we really need to get to the bottom of this. Uh, no, we really don't. We really don't. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. Team, I'll be right back. All right, we got a bunch of lines lit. I want to take some calls from you, team. Let's see who's uh, up here. We've got George in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Hey, George. Buck, you nailed it. You said that the phrase you used, this is targeted advertising. When I heard this going on, all I could think was that I heard exactly the same thing from the Obama uh, the, the political operatives when he was running. If, and and which, of the, which of the parties is ginning up hate? 
Trump is scum. Trump is anti-Jew, not part of his family's Jewish. It doesn't matter. Uh, um, you name it. it, it their, their, whole motive, their whole operandi right now is ginning up hate and personal destruction. What, they should, what we should be looking at, the thing that really matters, is the judges usurping authority of the executive branch. They're creating laws out of whole cloth. They're not ruling on the law anymore. They're, you know, they're they're blocking Trump, the executive branch, the Trump and the executive branch, from stopping illegal executive orders that Obama passed. Going I know through. it's amazing, isn't it? With with DACA, the, one president breaks the law, then the next president's unable to stop breaking the law based on what the courts are saying right now. It's crazy. And collusion, collusion is no crime. Everybody says collusion would have been is no crime. But it's the biggest thing on the planet right now. Collusion, collusion, collusion. Yeah, well, I've always said this. They use collusion and not conspiracy because uh, conspiracy is actually a criminal statute that can be proven or, or, or not. Collusion is whatever they say it is, right? Collusion yeah. is when they find nothing with the Mueller probe, you know what they're going to say, George? Well, the meeting at Trump Tower was all we really needed to know. There was collusion. We just haven't found it. They're never going to stop. So we just need to be prepared for that. But thank you for your call, my friend. Shields high. Uh, let's take... John in Gulfport, Mississippi. Hey, John. Hey, Buck. Uh, I'm a victim, and I believe some of your listeners are victims as well of this targeting that you're talking about. I don't know if it was um, Cambridge Analytica or it was an outfit similar to them, but if you've ever gone to any website, say it's uh, Gateway Pundit or CNN, and you have targeted advertising aimed on you that they, they... that they pick up because you, you may have, maybe you decided you wanted to go to Little Rock, Arkansas and stay in the Holiday Inn. Well, then when you go to your favorite website, the advertisement that pops up is lo and behold. Right. Well, John, this is how the internet, this is how the internet works now. This is why people think it's free. It's not really free. You're trading information and access to you as a consumer for the services that are offered on the internet, whether it's, uh, internet search like Google or websites. Yeah. 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 Well, this is, I mean, that's, so you're not really, I mean, you're not a, oh, you're, I think you're saying that, are you saying it sarcastically? I mean, you're, you're a victim of this yeah, the way anybody who uses yeah. the internet's a victim of it. Sarcastic. I'm, I'm playing along with the lefty. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, All right. Yeah. I'm like, John, you're going to be okay. Right. The, yeah, the Little Rock, I'm Arkansas trip is going to be fine. No, I hear you, yeah, man. It's just that, that's what, what you're saying though is, is very important here. They're complaining about the internet, John. That's what they're really doing. <laughs> they're, they're mad about how people use the internet. Shield time. Thank you. Thank you for giving me a ring. Um, that, you know, that, that's a good way to put it. Media angry about usage of data for advertisements. Well, if that's the case, every news website I know of is pretty much toast. So there's that. We've got a lot more, including the uh, fight over Russia and Brennan's nasty comments about Trump. That's all coming up. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. I'm committed to doing things objectively and independently and by the book. I think that has to extend not just to our investigations, our intelligence analysis, but it also has to extend to personnel decisions and disciplinary decisions. My commitment to making sure that our process is followed that it relies on objective input, and that most importantly, it is not based on political or partisan influence, is something I am utterly unyielding on. That is the FBI Director Christopher Wray. 
he, he's got a he's got a tough job these days trying to uh maneuver well i'm I'm sure it's always a, a tough job although you know, people say this i'm like you know to be the head of one of these agencies it's tough but it's also got it's very rewarding you've got a lot of influence and power and you've got fantastic private sector opportunities waiting for the moment you decide to stop but maneuvering through the political minefields right now for the fbi director would be particularly tough and then also the what would happen if some were to get their way or uh if if the advi- the counsel of some were listened to and you had special counsel Mueller get fired from his post because for example as i've been saying I, i'm i'm a little bit of a uh, a pendulum on this one i'm swinging back and forth i'm like no maybe you should get fired okay maybe not uh, it's a judgment call folks it's a judgment call because you got to look at this as do we let this grind on forever or do we, and and just wait it out or do you deal with the backlash now and know that it can't be used to cripple the administration and to stop trump from enacting policies that would benefit the country and the, the reason that he's in the white house right now uh you got representative louis gomert there who i i gotta say i am i'm a gomert i'm a gomert uh believer i like i like representative gomert he's a good dude he's just a good dude uh he thinks he should be fired though he thinks Mueller should be to- uh, should be uh well toast from office play it I think Mueller should be fired. He should be. He should never have been. He should never been appointed, and he should never have accepted. He should be fired. We have some establishment uh, Republicans in the House and Senate that say, "Oh, gee, if he were to fire Mueller, you know that that might we might need to impeach the president." Even one senator saying that may be an impeachable offense. No, it's not. I don't understand where these Republicans like Lindsey Graham get this notion that it's a it's a good idea to put out there that there's a a red line that if Trump crosses a political red line that if Trump crosses, then then impeachment would be on the table. I mean, Lindsey Graham the other day said something like if Trump were to do this, it would be the beginning of the end of his presidency if you were fired. It would have to be. Not specifically Trump that would fire Mueller, right? Rod Rosenstein would have to shut it down. You'd, maybe you'd have a new attorney general who wouldn't recuse himself, or maybe you'd have the current attorney general unrecuse himself. I, whatever the process may be, if you shut down the Mueller probe. You got Lindsey Graham and other Republicans who are saying that that's a red line. And I, I'm just sick of how, w- when you see how the Obama administration dealt with scandals, it was putting on a clinic for the Republicans. You never had damaging leaks. I'm just going to be honest with you here, okay? You never had damaging leaks from the uh, senior Democrats. You never had damaging leaks from White House appointees of, of influence meant to undermine President Obama himself. And you have so much of that going on here. Now, I, I guess some Republicans feel like they're doing what they ethically have to by saying that they would consider impeachment of i mean or do they just want to have nice editorials written about them the new york times i think it might be the latter i think this might be a case where as we look further into it uh we'll just see that they were grandstanding and the swamp is swampy my friends the swamp is indeed 
a, a swampy thing. So I'll continue to look at this. I, I'm just wondering if, in fact, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I like this issue just because I, I, I'm very persuadable. Some of you write me emails. You say, you know, Buck, he should really just fire Mueller. He should get this over with. And others are like, no, it's crazy. Don't do it. And I, oh, man, I have a tough one here. Because I think the Mueller probe is going to go on for a very long time. I don't think, I don't even think it's going to finish this year. I think you're looking at Mueller probe for a, a long time. I mean, it's pretty much going to be the whole first term that Trump's in office. Because Democrats are going to, they're incentivized to keep it going. Uh, they're incentivized. So that's something else that you got to keep in mind is that there are going to be efforts to uh, push this along. Just before, I, I just wanted to know something. I really want Hillary Clinton, Hillary, I really want her to get as much media attention as possible because Pelosi, her policies are odious, but she knows to stay out of the public uh, public eye close to election time in some places and in some ways. Right? She'll she'll come out and attack the Republican. She'll attack Trump, but she won't say, you know, and I'm also pushing for far left policies that are just crazy. Uh, she's not going to do that. Uh, so we need Hillary to be the one out there who is the face, so to speak, of the Democrat Party. That would be great. Whether the Mueller probe ends or not, I want Hillary to be standing up there talking as much as she can, as often as she can, about, well, whatever she can. And and here's a, a little taste of what's going to happen, or what it sounds like, hello, when she does. He has uh, uh, undermined the uh, office and used it to enrich himself and his family uh, disregarded laws, ethical standards. He's crossed into a territory of behavior and actions that are unpredictable, that are erratic, that are undermining the stability of uh, the global order. Folks, there you had Hillary Clinton casting aspersions on Trump for in for using political office to enrich his family. I mean the Clintons did this in a way that would have make that would have made like the Medici family of the Italian Renaissance feel like, "Whoa, maybe we should be uh, a little less self-indulgent here." I mean the Clintons are worth 100 million dollars plus. Not from giving speeches, folks. No one's speeches are worth that much money. No one is worth $100 million because of speeches. They were, they were used speeches as a carve-out, as a cutout for political influence peddling, getting big checks written to them so that people would have access or even the, even the belief that they would have access later on. But she's going to go out there and lecture the Trump campaign and lecture the public on what the Trump administration's ethics or lack of ethics. It's just astonishing, but we need we need more Hillary. We need her out there as much as possible. I want more Hillary, and uh, maybe, you know, maybe we should invite her on the show. Hi, welcome to the Freedom Hut. It would be amazing to get Hillary to come hang out here. I doubt she'll join because I'm not going to pay her $35,000 a minute or whatever her going rate is, or at least that was her rate. Now, I th- you know what? I think we get it at a bargain right now. 
Uh, I think Hillary's price point's gone down considerably since she's no longer going to be president of the United States. Two for one special. It's going to be amazing. We'll see. Uh, I'm going to talk to you about Russia and the criticisms of Trump surrounding Russia in just a moment. Stay with me for that. As each member of this committee knows, in 2016, the Russian government, at the direction of Vladimir Putin himself, orchestrated cyber attacks on our nation for the purpose of influencing the election that year, plain and simple. That was a former uh, chief of Homeland Security, Jay Johnson, director of Homeland, director of DHS, uh, and he's saying Vladimir Putin. Order the attack on the U.S. election. Now, Johnson was testifying today before Congress about this. I just want to ask a, a, a really straightforward question. When are we going to see the Mueller charge against Putin? If he's indicting all these people, if you have the former secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, right, cabinet level national security official, who's saying that Putin ordered the attack on the U.S. election, plain and simple. They must know that. Where are the charges? We've charged 13 Russians setting up troll accounts, sock puppet accounts, doing all that stuff. I mean, the day that Mueller brings a formal federal indictment against the president of Russia is going to be lit in the media. It's going to be quite a day. Now, I know what you're saying right now, or what you're thinking. Maybe you're saying it if you're really fired up. Buck, what are you saying? Uh, they're never going to do that. That's crazy. Right. Because there are limits on how much we should poke or even swipe at the Russian bear, so to speak. There is a place that whether there's a time and a place at which it just becomes too much. But you'll notice they'll say this about Russia and they will make this claim. But if I were to force their hand, if I were to force the Democrats, the media apparatus's hand right now and say, all right, so why don't we have a federal criminal indictment against Vladimir Putin personally and try to get him, you know, I don't know, extradited to the United States. They'd say, well, that's stupid, Buck. And I'd say, exactly. Exactly. But this week, Putin is once again public enemy number one in the United States. Well, maybe after Trump, because Trump made a phone call to him. Journalists didn't even stop for a second to think about who else made a phone call to Putin after an election victory yeah, to congratulate the Russian premier on his election. I actually remember that phone call from 2012, and there was some internal gnashing of teeth uh, about the fact that President Obama did call to congratulate him among, among the president's communication staff. But what also happened, Willie, was you had a statement from the State Department raising legitimate concerns about the way that that, that election was conducted and about the broader human rights situation inside of Russia. Well, you got a statement from the State Department raising legitimate concerns. It's very different. It's Putin is very upset about it, very scared. Because in a statement from the State Department... <laughs> I mean, is this guy serious? That was Josh Ernest. That was White House press secretary under Obama for part of the time. And I remember the State Department. Very strongly worded memo. It was very, very aggressive memo. You'll notice the key part of what he said, though. Obama called to congratulate... Vladimir Putin. That is what happened. 
They can try to spin it now and say, well, the State Department, they can do all that other stuff, which you just heard a little bit of there. But at the end of the day, all that really matters is that they ran with a story because they thought it was bad for Trump. And they didn't even stop to think, well, what about my guy? What about Obama? What did he do when it came to Putin? Uh, and by the way, for, the, for those who are always running around talking tough on Russia now, uh, Obama called Obama called Putin after the conflict in Georgia, basically the Russian invasion of Georgia, uh, after Putin had imprisoned a group that I will call P-Riot, even though it is not actually, it's called something else, close enough. Um, and also Putin had had journalists you know, thrown in prisons, and there's all kinds of very, very bad stuff that Putin had been doing when Obama called to congratulate him. The repression was already there, right? There's, this is nothing different. So the, the make-believe with journalists now is, oh, well, Putin was, like, not that bad, and now he's really bad. No, he's always been really bad. I would also note that the leak about do not congratulate, people are now saying Trump is really furious about it. Of course he should be furious about it. Whether it's true or not, by the way. A very small number of people would have had access to those kinds of presidential notes for a phone call between the president of the U.S. and the president of Russia. And that somebody would, in a blatant effort to undermine the president, break the trust that the president of the United States should be able to have in his advisors. You know, if, you, if you're listening out there, if you happen to be that advisor, if you don't like the president, quit. Don't be a coward and don't be a backstabber. And that is exactly what happened here with this leak. I will even note there are some never Trumpers that I have seen today who have reasonable ethics sometimes who have been willing to say you can't have top advisors leaking this kind of stuff to the media. I mean, this is just, you know, what's next? Are we going to have advisors who go in and record record private conversations with the president and just leak it to the media? I mean, that would be the next step. It's a, it's a disgrace. It's another disgrace. Uh, one more thing I wanted to get to on this point. Uh, you'll notice how there's so much tough talk on Russia right now and not nearly anything even the same stratosphere of tough talk from the media when it comes to China. People are like, oh my gosh, Putin, he's an autocrat. And he's so his human rights record. Why didn't Trump call him out for his human rights record? Apply that logic for a moment to China. Why should President Trump, if he's going to constantly harangue and personally embarrass and be hostile toward the president of Russia, who, by the way, I think is a bad guy. I'm not sitting here saying Putin's not a bad guy. I'm just saying we've got to be smart about this. But if he's going to do that because of a human rights record or because of autocracy and all the other things that the journalists this week are whining about, what about Xi Jinping, the president for life, officially now, in China? I mean, he's actually the head of the Communist Party in China, but he's the, he is the Chinese premier. He's been a part of a communist government that has presided over the mass slaughter of unborn girls because of the one, one child policy in China stretched on for decades. I mean, let, let's not pretend that there's not a case to be made that China's human rights record is much worse than Russia's human rights record over the last 20 or 30 years because it is there and the autocracy is there 
So what's the difference? Oh, it's not smart to antagonize China in that way right now. It's not smart for our leader to personally get into it with their leader. No, I, I agree that's true. How come the media can't figure that out when it comes to Russia, though? Why is it that this is only applicable? Oh, that's right. All sense, all common sense gets cast aside if it can hurt Trump. That's how they approach everything, including the former CIA director who spoke out this morning. I'm going to take him to task with a buck slap. Fellas like you never seem to catch on. It's actually very simple. Buck slap for the former director of the CIA. Coming up in just a few. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. Welcome to Hour 3 of the Buck Sexton Show, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. Covered a lot of ground today on the show. Uh, Later on, I'll have some thoughts for you on uh, affirmative action and uh, a case, a free speech case in the UK of a man who taught his pug to do uh, hate speech, I guess. I'll have to walk you through this one. Oh, no, I'm saying he's going to prison for it. He taught his pug to do a Hitler salute. He put it on YouTube and now he is going to prison in the United Kingdom. We will talk about that story later on this hour, too. Uh, and, And we'll, of course, finish up with a roll call. But first, the former CIA director has been making the rounds. He's now an NBC senior national security analyst. There's been a glut, you'll notice of these former senior Obama administration muckety-mucks. You know, these guys that, mostly guys, there's some gals too, who used to run different Obama-era agencies, and now they're all becoming talking heads. They're not, uh, you know, they're not, they're not going into teaching the same way they used to. They're not going into the corporate sector necessarily. They're, they're just running on TV and running their mouths a lot. And Brennan has been particularly out of line recently. Here is what he said about the president earlier this week uh, or earlier this this uh, this day. I meant this morning. Another way of saying earlier this day would be this morning, Buck. Good job. Good with the English. Uh, But here's what he said on Morning Joe, which is like a show with like we're like Joe is just he's just so cool and laid back and politically savvy. You know, he just looks like he rolled in off the beach from Nantucket, man. He's got he's got his lady there, you know. You know, they're a thing. I don't know if you know. They're married now. And uh, he puts aside the guitar and the surfboard and just drops some political bombs. That's how Morning Joe does it. Anyway, here's what Brennan, though, the former CIA director, had to say about our current president. Is America being tried? Um at this point, uh, especially in terms of its place in the world, is this president letting our country down? Well, I think the president has shown a a lack of understanding of international affairs, as well as a real um, ignorance of uh, what it takes to be president of the United States. And that's what prompted my tweets. Uh, He is uh, mean-spirited. He is dishonest. He has shown a lack of integrity. And uh, he has uh, continued to, I think, demean the office of the presidency. And so I've decided to uh, put my silence aside and to speak up and speak out. 
put his silence aside. Silence didn't last very long, Mr. I was CIA director until like a year ago. Wasn't much in the way of silence. He's literally saying that America will triumph over the current president. This is this is Banana Republic stuff. This is tin pot dictatorship rhetoric from the former director of the premier intelligence agency, sorry, NSA, uh, in the United States. This isn't acceptable. This is actually really problematic. And you'll notice that this is happening now with so many of these former Obama administration officials. You didn't have all the former Bush administration intel directors. Now, I put intel people in a different category. They're supposed to be in a different category than White House communications folks. Yeah, they're they're partisan. They're political. They're supporting. They're tied to an administration. But we were always told that our intel professionals are nonpartisan, just about the facts, man, just about the truth, the information. And they usually say this to us right before they tell us, how dare you criticize this former director of insert three-letter agency? He's just speaking the truth about Russia collusion. Oh, really? So why is it that now we've seen beyond any reasonable doubt that Clapper and Brennan and, yes, McCabe and Comey, their FBI is part of the intelligence community, too. Access to incredibly sensitive information. Why? And running national security investigations. We're seeing that they're anti-Trump partisans. We're not supposed to take note of this. There has been a change is what I'm really trying to hammer home here. There has been a shift. The former Intel directors now become partisan pugilists right away. They just want to roll up their sleeves and get into the cable news fisticuffs ASAP. With Brennan, it gets even worse, though, from Morning Joe. Here's what he said about Trump and vulnerabilities. What do you chalk it up to? Why won't the president confront Vladimir Putin? Why won't he read the cards and say the things that you say need to be said to Vladimir Putin? Do you believe he's somehow in debt to the president of Russia? I think he's afraid of the president of Russia. Why? Um, Well, I think one can speculate as to why, uh, that the Russians may have something on him personally, uh, that they could always roll out and make his life more difficult. They have something on him personally? They may have something on him personally? Let's all understand, my friends. This is not a former senior White House advisor, you know, political advisor. This is not the equivalent of a of David Axelrod or, you know, even a Podesta or some of these other slimy characters out there. Valerie Jarrett going on TV and and taking taking cheap shots at the president. This is the former director of the Central Intelligence Agency who's taking a cheap. And yes, it is a cheap shot. If the former CIA director has information to show that the president of the United States betrayed his country on behalf of Russia, I don't give a damn what the regulations tell him, what people are going to say, but, oh, it's all classified. He has an obligation to go through the process, speak to Congress behind closed doors, do whatever he has to do to get that information out to the American public. And here's the other part of this. He doesn't have it. Of course he doesn't have it. Oh, this is the one case when it comes to information about President Trump that would truly bring down the whole administration. This is the one case where it's not leaking, right? They'll leak 
Flynn's phone call to a, to a Russian ambassador do harm to national security in the process and ruin a man's career and commit a felony. They'll do that. But this information, oh, no, this is sacred. Oh, no, there's a process here. There's a process. How convenient that the former director of my my employer, my agency, the place that trained me, that taught me tradecraft, that taught me the skills of an analyst in the intelligence world, is now out there and playing the dirtiest of dirty politics. You know, they might have something on him personally. Oh, what do you mean, like the dossier, Brennan? Is the dossier true? Is that what you're saying? If that's the case, come out and say it. You know, this is, it's one of the grossest things that you will come across in a public servant. The, well, I have, I have information that would completely change this conversation and would destroy a political party and destroy a presidency, but uh, I just can't share it with you because you're not cleared for that. Oh, okay. Oh, look at that. It's so cute. Uh, this, is, this is a very troubling trend of former senior intelligence officers, directors of the agency, and very senior FBI people you know, and others who become partisan hitmen right away. New administration comes in. Oh, you know, well, if you only knew about this president, what we know about this president. There's been so much of that, and it needs to stop. It also is a window into the kind of people that President Obama was putting in senior national security roles. He was picking partisan hitmen to take those jobs. We know this now. Clapper, Brennan, McCabe, Comey. Partisan hitmen. And it's a disgrace to a community of which I belonged, uh, to which I belonged at one point. It really is. Just one more thing. Don't ever forget, my friends, that while they're making all this noise about how Trump called Putin and he's not supposed to, um, they have no answers whatsoever to what to do about Russia, how to make things better. All they can do is tear down and criticize and belittle. They think they think if they continue this, they will win politically. But in the short term, and I believe in the long term, you will see this is actually harming the country. These people think that they're being patriots. They pretend to be patriots by tearing down the very system that we have right now in order to get at those they do not like. And when I see this filtering into the, well, at the top level of the intelligence community in the Obama administration, it's really troubling and it's disgraceful. Uh, Brennan making these insinuations about Trump and then not backing them up is disgraceful and unethical and he should be ashamed. That's the truth. We'll be right back. Girlfriend is always ranting and raving about how cute and adorable her wee dog is. And so I thought I would turn them into the least cute thing that I could think of, which is a Nazi. Do I gas the Jews? Do I gas the Jews? Do I gas the Jews? Sie Kyle! Sie Kyle! Sie Kyle! So there you have some very offensive stuff. You have a pug being taught to salute 
uh, like a Nazi in response to that guy who's uh, making, you know, look, he's he thinks he's being a provocative jokester. And he says really, really heinous things. His name is Marcus uh, Meachin. And he's got this, like I said, he's got this pug who's doing this. And he uploaded a video of this to uh, YouTube. And you would think, okay, well, a lot of really dumb stuff is being put on YouTube. A lot of nasty things are written on Twitter and on Facebook and all these places all the time. What are we going to do about this other than say, you know, it's not as you know, I love pugs. So I hate that a pug is being dragged. It's not the pug's fault. Right. I feel bad. It is a really cute pug. But this guy is saying stuff that's grotesque and he shouldn't be doing it. And now you think, that okay, so our role as a society that believes in free speech is to say that this is not and it's not it's not funny. It's not cute. It's not. I mean, the pug is cute. But what he's doing, what the human being is doing is is uh, not okay. He shouldn't be saying these things. Uh, It is deeply offensive. And you can think of other. Uh, for example, if somebody you know trained their dog to respond to certain racial epithets in this country, people would be, or I mean, including the ones that we just heard, but people would be really outraged. Right? So, outrage is fine in a free society. Shouting down, well, I shouldn't say shouting down, but counter speech is fine. Also, ignoring speech you don't like is fine. But that's not what's happened in the United Kingdom, and I think this is. This is a vision of our own future, folks, with what's going on now with social media. YouTube is blocking conservatives in all kinds of ways, uh, including right now. YouTube. Well, I'm going to get ahead of myself. But before we talk about the American side of YouTube censorship, just understand that this guy is not just being kicked off YouTube. He is being sent to prison for this now in the United Kingdom. What is your exact crime that they are claiming? It's uh, offensive communication. I communicated an offensive message and they threw the hate crime tag on there as well. Yeah. And you actually believe you are going to go to jail. So potentially today, in five minutes, when we walk back in there, they could tell you you have to go to jail. Why do you believe that? I think it's because uh, the way the trial's been laid out, also the fact that the police tipped the press off when they were coming to arrest me, they're making a show of this. They're making a right show of this. The funny thing is the Nuremberg trials didn't even take this long. Right? <laughs> so like, that's why I'm just sitting there like, this is a show. Like, I'm pretty sure the guilty verdict was already decided before I was even in court. This is just uh, publicity. So- it, they found him guilty, by the way. They found him guilty of a hate crime for teaching, uh, teaching his pug to make a little paw. Look, the pug is moving its paw up. Again, I love, I really love pugs, so I hate that there's a pug in the center. It's so unfair that this is, you know, the pug is being dragged into this. They're like, I really, I really believe pugs are a symbol of love and and harmony, and they're wonderful. Uh, As you can tell, I'm a fan of all squashed faced dogs. But this guy said really bad things. Do I think he should do it? No. Do I think he should go to prison? No. There is no free speech in the UK anymore. This is, it's, this is, it is official. It's been official for a while, maybe, but. Now you see it once again that a guy in the video was posted in September of 2016 on his YouTube channel. This has been going on for a long time. That's why I mentioned the trial. He posted it under the name Count Dankula. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here for those of you who may not know this. Dank is often a word that is used by the by the youth to refer to marijuana. That dank weed is particularly pungent, aromatic, 
THC-laden marijuana. And so Count Dankula... Count Dankula. <laughs> he obviously eats a lot of chocolate chip m and or peanut M&Ms. Uh, but Count Dankula was the name of the account that it was posted to. And it was viewed a few million times. YouTube pulled it down. Okay, fine. It violates YouTube's terms of service. Pull it down. But prison is too much. Prison goes too far. And to say that this violates a hate crime when it's the guy's clearly making a very unfunny and nasty, but he's clearly making a joke, uh, just goes to show you that this is the direction for social justice warriors now. They're going to make speech they do not like illegal. They're going to make it criminal. It's not going to be enough for them to just say that you, you, you that platforms can police this stuff. The police are going to police speech. I want to just add in something else here for a moment. You're seeing videos that are pulled from YouTube now based upon anything having to do. And this is in this country, folks. Uh, in this country, YouTube is pulling ads that have to do with guns. YouTube is deciding that there are limits to what firearm demo videos you're allowed to see. They're banning firearm demo videos. This is from this is from Bloomberg. Um, and this was just posted earlier today. YouTube, a popular media site for firearms enthusiasts, quietly introduced tighter restrictions on videos involving weapons, becoming the latest battleground in the U.S. gun control debate. YouTube will ban videos that promote or link to websites selling firearms and accessories, including bump stocks, which allow a semi-automatic rifle to fire faster. Additionally, YouTube said it will prohibit videos with instructions on how to assemble firearms. Uh, the video site has faced intense criticism for this. They are banning websites that sell firearms and accessories from, from the YouTube platform. The right to bear arms, folks, in the Constitution. They're saying basically no, no more. YouTube is getting rid of that whole notion. Okay. Uh, this is why we can't trust the, oh, we just want to stop violence movements that are out there. No, they want to ban guns. And the massive social media platforms out there are taking action to try and push the culture toward banning guns. Because after the culture goes there, guess what? Politics will go there, too. Uh, keep in mind, on YouTube, you can still see uh, all. I, I'm pretty sure you can still see beheading videos, although maybe those are now violating terms of service. You can definitely find people building uh, or you can definitely find on the Internet, you know, the anarchist cookbook. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that you can find on YouTube that's quite nasty and is is repugnant. But they're getting rid of people that want to show you how to fire certain guns. They're getting rid of those videos. So censorship in the UK means you go to prison. Censorship here means they demonetize you and deplatform you. But you know what comes after YouTube and social media decides to demonetize and deplatform? Defreedomize, which means send you to prison. That's the next step. We got to be on watch for this year. We'll Wait a quick break. We'll be right back. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. One of the big fights that you're going to see during this administration uh, with the social justice left is going to be over affirmative action. Now, I'm not sure 
when exactly it's going to come to a head. I just I just know that this is looming in the background and you have uh, cases that pop up here and there that are. Let's just say harbingers of things to come. Uh, You have at this was published in National Review uh, just last couple of days, and it was about a professor at the University of Pennsylvania, the, or yeah, the piece is called The Truth Hurts at Penn Law. Uh, let me share with you a little bit of what's going on here. This is by Jason uh, Richwine. Quote, one of the chief criticisms of affirmative action is that it devalues credentials that minorities could otherwise use to distinguish themselves. If college admissions were purely merit-based, employers would have no reason to discount an impressive degree just because it is held by a black or Hispanic applicant. Under our system of racial preferences, however, it is not merely understandable but rational to suspect that minority applicants are less qualified than their paper credentials imply. For some proponents of affirmative action, the response to this problem is simple. Ban those rational thoughts. Everyone must act as if we have a purely merit-based admission system, even though everyone knows that we do not. The success of affirmative action depends on it. University of Pennsylvania law professor Amy Wax refuses to go along with the charade, or the charade, as some say, and now she's in trouble for it. As part of a critique of race-based admissions, Professor Wax observed that black students at Penn Law rarely graduate in the top half of their class. Her observation is almost certainly correct, but Penn Law Dean Ted Ruger declared it is false without providing any evidence. This is classic, folks. Okay, so that's the end of the quote there for a moment. So here you have a system, and this is true of affirmative action across the board at the elite universities, a system that explicitly privileges certain races over others. They just aren't allowed to use quotas. Somehow the numbers stay the same every year, but they're not using quotas. They're taking a holistic approach. This is garbage. It's not honest. It's not what's happening. But they say, oh, we just take a holistic approach. These schools make decisions based upon skin color and based upon racial preference. And then on top of that, They insist that no one talk about the very system they have in place. This is going on at the University of Pennsylvania, an Ivy League school. In fact, one of my brothers went there. And this is what the dean, in this case, uh, has given as his explanation for why they have forbidden this professor, who is tenured, by the way, so they can't really fire her as much as I'm sure they'd love to. Tenure occasionally bites back. Uh, But... Professor Wax uh, is banned from teaching any mandatory first-year courses. And here is the reasoning for it. Quote, in light of Professor Wax's statements, black students assigned to her class in their first year at Penn Law may reasonably wonder whether their professor has already come to a conclusion about their presence, performance, and potential for success in law school and thereafter. They may legitimately question whether the inaccurate and belittling statements she has made may adversely affect their learning environment and career prospects. These students may also reasonably feel an additional and unwarranted burden to perform well so that their performance may not be used or misused by their professor in public discourse about racial inequality and academic success. 
More broadly, this dynamic may negatively affect the classroom experience for all students, regardless of race or background. Um, this is amazing, folks. That's the end of the quote there. Here you have a dean at the University of Pennsylvania in Ivy League Law School who is making the case. Remember, this is a, this is a dean of a law school. You'd think he kind of knows logic and reason. Making the case that this professor made a statement that is very easy to prove false if it were false. He will not provide that evidence, though, because if he were to provide the evidence, then it would. Well, we all know, right? Then you'd have to provide the evidence for other things in the affirmative action policy spectrum, too. And then people would have an expectation. All right, so we're allowed to see the numbers. We're allowed to talk about it. They can't provide the evidence because if they concede that there's evidence that proves this is true one way or the other, then they concede it's a rational point of discussion, a reasonable point of discussion. And they refuse to do that. You're not allowed to talk about it. Affirmative action is now a policy in colleges and universities. And yes, in hiring for corporations, folks. It is true in, in corporate America as well. This is now filtered throughout the entire system. But it exists, and it exists under the uh, totalitarian impulse to tell you that it does not exist, to make you say it does not exist. And that's the only way that it can all be held together. They won't allow you to question it or even discuss it as a system. This has to stop. This goes to the intellectual rot that is at the heart of so much of what's going on on campuses these days they won't even engage with the ideas they are promoting because they're so clearly dubious and look if professor wax's statement is untrue they should just provide the data it's untrue if it's not untrue well then guess what you have a professor of law who is making a blatantly clear factual statement that goes right to the heart of affirmative action policy at university of pennsylvania law school and for making a statement of fact she is being singled out belittled and punished by her peers that is the modern affirmative action system we have in this country under the trump administration with this department of justice i am hoping we can turn this around it is a corrupt system it's wrong it's unethical it needs to stop and the left is in the wrong on this by a mile. By a mile. It's not even close. All right, we're going to have to hit a, a roll call here. Stay with me. Well, it is a straight-up blizzard here in New York City and along much of the East Coast. I think I'm going to have to ski home tonight. I remember when, do you remember when the Nordic track was the fitness craze? I was putting in a lot of late hours at the office. The pressure was really getting to me. My doctor told me if I didn't get some exercise... I'd be a prime candidate for a heart attack. That's why I got on track. Nordic track. Nordic track was just what I needed to work off stress. My doctor says my blood pressure's lower, too. Oh, man. I mean, there still are some pretty uh, lame late night fitness craze items that you see out there. And I'm going to I'm going to confess, I actually owned a few of them. (laughs) But the Nordic track, you know, oh, yeah, just sort of against no resistance stand and move your arms and legs back and forth in an effortless motion and you too can look like this fitness model in the commercial that stuff is so effective i mean not shake weight effective 
<laughs> don't get me wrong, shake weights clearly will give you a six pack or uh, ladies, that beach body is just one shake weight away, you know? Oh my gosh. Uh, the, the lamest though were always the, the ones that were meant for your abs specifically. And, and I definitely owned a few of these when I was maybe a senior in high school I feel like I went in the back of some mail order catalog in Maxim magazine and got one of those things that I, I don't remember what it was called. The it was like the ab cruncher or something, but you would hold this. It looked almost like a spaceship and you would just sort of hold it in your into your gut. And that was supposed to make you get six pack abs. Well, this is going to blow that right out of the water. Listen to this. Seven minute abs think about it you walk into a video store you see eight minute abs sitting there there's right. seven minute abs right beside it which one right. are you gonna pick man i'm i would go for the seven yeah I'd go for bingo the man seven. bingo seven minute abs and we guarantee just to get a workout is the eight minute folk <laughs> yeah you see just just as good a workout as the eight minute folk uh i love there's something about mary is a guilty pleasure a movie that could never be made today, but we're still allowed to like it because the social justice warriors haven't figured out that it's on demand and DVD. And with that, let's get into Roll Call. Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. First up in roll call today in the hut, we have Steve, who has a moose cooking follow-up for us. Okay, Steve, moose meat is the best meat on the planet. Harvest a moose, and you will have enough hormone-free wild game meat to feed your family for an entire year. And he has, in fact, given me a guide to how to cook moose meat. <laughs> okay, Steve, hey, hey, look, you're the expert, buddy, so... I'll take your word for it. And based on this photo I'm looking at, moose meat and roast beef seem very similar. So seems delicious. Oh, wow. Nathan sent me something here. A bourbon that is called the Sexton. The Sexton Single Malt Irish Whiskey. Nathan, I got to check this out. And maybe we could get them to be a sponsor on the show. Because, I mean, for heaven's sake, my name is Sexton. The bourbon's called Sexton. Makes sense to me. Let's give it a shot. Next up here, we have TJ, who writes in, Awesome show, Buck. Well, thank you, TJ. TJ knows how to butter me up in the beginning of the comments, so I appreciate that. Or he just listens to me when I say, if you want me to read your comments on air, say something nice about the show right away. Uh, but he writes, Awesome show, Buck. I think I'd like to expand on your bacon, steak, and egg breakfast idea. When I do deer steak and eggs, I typically bread the steak and then fry them. What if you cook the bacon first, fry the breaded steak in the bacon grease, and follow up with the eggs fried in the bacon grease? Mind blown. Also, my go-to seasoning for everything is Tony Chacher's Creole seasoning. It's great on everything, even says so on the can. Well, TJ, I will have to check that out. I am unfamiliar with it, but I like your plan for uh what would that be that would be bacon steak i'm sorry deer steak and eggs d-s-e deer steak and eggs 
Sony, next up here. She writes, Buck is already working. She sent this this morning. 5 a.m. I'm going to the gym and you're already doing your best. Thank you so much. Well, Sony, thank you. It was very kind of you to write me the note. It was also very kind of uh, Brian Kilmeade and Ainsley Earhart and the whole rest of the Fox and Friends crew to have me on this morning really on and off for the whole three hours. Uh, so it was very, I was very much appreciated and it was um, important to be able to weigh in with analysis on the breaking news out of Austin. So I really did appreciate it. And Sony, I hope you enjoyed it as well. Uh, Paul is next up here. He writes, Hey Buck, I grew up a few minutes from Los Alamitos, California. It has been a family oriented neighborhood for generations. The politicians in California are missing it. The population wants criminals out of our state, but the politicians continue to move roughshod over popular wishes. This includes my Mexican-American friends, some of whom are currently in the country illegally. This will bite them in the end. They will miss it. Much like Trump was a surprise, they will not see the wave until it is all over for them. Um, all right, Paul. Well, thank you for uh, weighing in. Appreciate it. Rain is next up here. I uh, love the show as always. I was only able to listen to the first hour yesterday. Not sure if you covered the story about the YouTuber convicted in the UK for making an offensive video. I'll have to catch up on the podcast. Well, Rain, thank you so much for listening to the show. And I covered it today, in fact. So hopefully you're hearing this. And also earlier in the show, you heard me discussing the conviction in the UK of this YouTube joke prankster guy who taught his pug to make a uh well to make a a hitlerian gesture when he would say sig heil uh, as well as a few other very very bad and inappropriate things uh ollie or (laughs) i don't know if it's ollie or ally when i start this i think it's ally oh no it's ollie it is ollie uh ollie writes buck how are the march for life kids going to be protected with guns. Well, my friend, you, you have a point there. I think they, they probably will be protected by law enforcement officials with guns. Um, and I hope that there is a march for life uh, that happens with school-age students for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, let's see what we got here. Next up is James. Kind of like me. My first name is James. For those of you who didn't know, a little, a little Buck Freedom Hut trivia. Uh, he writes, great show. I listen every night at work, 810WGY. Oh, that's up in Albany, one of our fantastic affiliates. Saw you on Fox. Is Bob Gates your old boss? Uh, well, there were a few uh, agency directors during my time. Uh, when I began, it was Porter Goss. And by the time I finished, it was Panetta. So that should give you... And was there somebody else in between? I can't even remember now. I can't even remember all the directors, but there's a whole portrait gallery on the first floor at Langley of them, so there's that. Uh, but thank you for listening up in WGY Albany, and I uh, hope other folks up in Albany know that if they want to weigh in, they want to let me know what they're thinking about the show, uh, they can send me a message at facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Um, here we go. Uh, Hannah from Israel. She writes, on Monday's show, you said the media is clearly their team, my team, concerning how the media presents news while they themselves profess to be impartial. It is so clearly true. Why do you think they don't just come out and say they represent the left? 
Would it hurt them financially? What's the downside? How can they think they came to appeal to anyone who is not on the left? You know, Hannah, I do think about this with some regularity because, you know, CNN, for example, is delusional about its political uh, leanings. A lot of journalists I know over there, and I know them, some of them I know well personally, they think that they're impartial. A lot of them know, I think, that this is all a game and that they act with him. They, they say they're impartial because it gives them more gravitas. But I think some of them have, have uh, bought into this and they believe it is the short answer to your question. At least enough of them do that the rest go along with it. All right, that's going to be it for the Freedom Hut today. Thank you so much for joining me here on the Buck Sexton Show. Please download the podcast. It is on iTunes. Subscribe to it as well. Subscribe to the Buck Sexton Show on iTunes. We've got much more coming up tomorrow. Until then, shields high.